Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. I think we all have some picture in our head of what it looks like to live out the fullness of God's calling in our life. All of us, maybe there's somebody in your life that you saw sold out for Jesus who went and did it, who planted churches, who uh, was a missionary, who loved their neighbors and reached their friends. Like you, you have somebody in your mind when you think about like that ultimate follower of Jesus who was completely consumed with what God was doing and, and wanted to jump in. And I, I think that all of us go, I'd like to figure out how to, how to do that. I'd like to figure out how to be a part of that. And really, I, what I want to dive into in this sermon series, what we're calling La Familia, is we know what we want to do, but we don't know how to do it. And so this is going to be hopefully super practical and super personal and super focused on your micro church and how to live as these extended spiritual families on mission together. You look back to the first century and you see Priscilla and Aquila, this couple that that were so transformed by the gospel that they sold everything and joined Paul in this mission to reach the Greek-speaking world. You see Lydia opening up her house and seeing this training center flourish because this wealthy woman said, I'm going to take everything God's given me and make it accessible to the kingdom mission. You've got Jesus and his disciples setting aside what it, what it looks like to be in the first century, which is stable, centered, in a village, doing a, a trade. And they stepped out of the expectations of their family and said, we're going to go after what God has called us to. Across the centuries, you have spiritual movements. But what I want to focus on in each one of these is that nobody went alone. If you want to see movement of God and you look throughout history, you will not find lone rangers. You will not find the super spiritual one person who made everything happen. All spiritual movement happens through the natural connected networks that God has brought us through. You've got the Moravians who would plant a community in a new space and it would become a, an outpost of, of God's kingdom in that community. You have the Jesuits who would start these monasteries that were meant to bring knowledge and bring a taste of God's kingdom to people all over the world. You've got missionaries like the stories of the early days with Campus Crusade and InterVarsity and the Wesleyan Movement and Missionary Aviation Fellowship and Dr. Livingston and the London Missionary Society and Hudson Taylor and the China Inland Mission None of them went alone. All of them said, I need a community who will go with me. Our place as a community is a part of this great cloud of witnesses. 
we are not, we, we, like I said earlier, we don't call ourselves a church because we don't see ourselves as a church. We are a, a movement of missionaries. Our very identity was centered in, from the very beginning, God's nature. Who we are as a people, we're trying to mimic who God is and who Christ is and do everything that they did in the way that they did it. And when you look at the nature of God, it starts with a community. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know what word is used there for God? Elohim. Do you know what Elohim means? God's. In the beginning, the gods created the heavens and the earth. It feels really wrong, right? Elohim is a is a is a plural word. What it was speaking to, because that was the very first first time God revealed himself, is that God was showing that he had this community inside of himself upon which all things are created this trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who have existed from eternity past to eternity future. God himself is community. God himself is family. And so when God enters into the mission of creating a world to be his beloved creation, where he himself will go towards the creation, he will commune with them, he will die to buy them and to save them, this missio Dei, the missioning God that we are trying to mimic as his sent people, he did it as a community. He did not do it alone. Here's the deal. You cannot follow Christ and be a part of his family without joining the family business of mission of proclaiming and living and working to bring the kingdom of God to life right here and right now. And so when we follow in the way of Jesus, when we raise our hand and say, I want to be a part of that, what we're saying is we want our whole lives devoted to Christ and the mission of God. And then all of us are like, yeah, I want to be a part of something like that. But how? How do do we do this? Well, I think the problem that we're trying to solve is this. Mission is hard. Bringing the kingdom of God to life in a world filled with the kingdom of darkness is a true spiritual battle. When we show up into a space and we bring with us the presence of God and the Holy Spirit inside of us, the forces of darkness both in our flesh and in the world around us are waging war against us. And we imagine that we can go out there and and the old the old uh, saying was you know storming hell with a squirt gun. I got to be honest, that's that's not a very good tactic. <laughs> hell is this place filled with destruction, and you're gonna storm hell with a squirt gun by yourself. You're gonna come into this this dark world on your own and say I've got it within me to see God's kingdom come. That's why when we leave and when we're isolated, alone outside of our gatherings, the flame, the red-hot center of our community starts to flicker and die because the kingdom of God is meant to be lived in community. There's an old African proverb that's been way overused, but it's just too good to leave alone. It's this, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. This is our motto. 
We want to roll deep as a community. We want to have a community of people alongside of us in every aspect of our lives because we know that on our own we'll get picked off and we'll get broken, we'll get discouraged. We need the help and friendship of community. When, when I, I work with a lot of church planters, and a lot of them, they would tell you their number one issue is how lonely they are. They, they'll start a new community, and they will imagine that they have to be everything for that community. They've got to be the preacher. They've got to be the setup guy. They've got to be the tech guy. They've got to, um, they've got to pastor people, and they have to be there for all of their problems, and that that one person to however many people they've gathered together, they've got to do everything, and nobody can bear that burden with them. You've got to be honest. That's a terrible way to live. <laughs> um, and, and primarily, that's why Malia and I chose a different way when we planted. It's why we engaged such a large team to be a part of leading. It's why we believe that we want to have a, um, a leadership that is dispersed I, a lot of times there's stuff happening in your lives that I don't know about because your microchurch is leaning in and walking with you. That's way better than me walking with you. Got to be honest. I'm not very good at that stuff. <laughs> I'll, I'll dive in. I will show up and pray for you at the hospital. But my gifts aren't in healing. I have different gifts. And so what we want to see is that together we can do this thing. We're not meant to be lonely in mission. We need the encouragement of community. We, we need to celebrate and live each other's wins and mourn each other's losses. Um, we need to look at what each other does, and instead of going, gosh, I feel so bad about not doing that. Instead, I want to look at what you do, and I want to feel proud, and I want to feel excited, and I want to celebrate what God is doing through you. It's a different mentality. You have different gifts than I do. We, in Ephesians 4, Paul lays out kind of a framework for thinking about the different gifts that we need to lead a community like this. And he says there's apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers who are given as a gift to the community for the building up of the church. And um, I'm a, a apostle evangelist. That's kind of like my little gift mix. Those are the things I'm good at. Um, I'm not a great shepherd, I'm not a great teacher, and I'm not a great prophet, and so I need people around me who can speak those things well and challenge me like I need them to. You need that too. When you're out on mission, when God's called you out, you might be really good at helping make something happen, but you don't have vision, and you don't have, um, you maybe, maybe you love people, but you're an introvert, and you need to be adopted into a community to belong. You need an extrovert to bring you along. So we need to have people who do all of the things together. We need community because the community when we gather is the context for evangelism and discipleship. You actually, here's the thing. We, this isn't discipleship. I'm not, I'm not teaching you how to be a disciple because I can't know where you're at when it's one to a hundred. Okay. I just, I don't know where you're at. I know where some of you are at. Some of you are in my huddle. Some of you who are part of some of the groups I lead, I know where you're at, and I can speak to you, and I can challenge you, and I can walk with you through things. But the context of living in the oikos, that, that, that household of faith, like a microchurch, that's the context where transformation happens in our lives. People will call you out for your BS because you've got nonsense 
and you say things that are lies about yourself and about others. And you need somebody to go, hey, what you just said there, let's back up. Why did you say that? Is that true? Is that how you live? Is that how you think? Let's change how we think about that. I don't know what's happening in your head right now. I can't teach you how to be a follower of Jesus from a distance. It takes that intimacy. That's why Jesus had his three leaders and his 12 guys. Because it, in that intimacy, that's where the transformation happens. So we need the context of community to see discipleship happen. But it's also where evangelism and mission happens. You all have somewhere between probably 10 and 200 people that you're connected to. That's what the sociologists call like these, these spheres of connection. And all of us live probably under 150 connections where we're known by people, okay? And so each of you has that outside of this community. And that is the context at which God is creating mission through our community. And so I need your friendships to help you reach them for Christ. I need you and your community to be a context for us to serve and care for the least and the most vulnerable in our community. I know my people, you know your people, and together we're called to go and be God's people together. There's also this. We need the sort of oikos, that family on mission together, because we need critical mass. Um, when you have one person... You have a zealot. They're just marching to their own drum, going out and doing their thing. When you have three people, you've got a cult, okay? They're, they're the, the true believers, the ones who would never leave. The rider dies. But as soon as something happens where you get a crowd of people, maybe somewhere between 50 and 150, you start to see a critical mass where momentum builds on itself. That's one of the ways that God uses these oikos, these households. In the ancient world, we'll talk much more about this as we go, but the oikos was this, um, we, we think about family weird in the 21st century. We think of it as father, mother, children. That's it. That's what family is to us. But to them, when you said oikos, which meant household, it meant a like it meant your employees. It meant maybe you have slaves in your house. It meant maybe your boss. It meant your extended family. It meant the people who rented from you if you had a large house, okay? So this is the oikos, is the household that you are responsible for. And when we think in those terms, something starts to transform because when you have those intimate networked connections, those are the only places in the world where you see spiritual movement take off like wildfire is they move through households. They move through extended family networks. That's when you see God movement, even here in America, it's, it's through primarily these extended family networks still. But we kind of have to rebuild it because that's not a part of our culture. We need to change the way that we think about identity, and we're going to dive into the word for the next few minutes, but we need, to, we need to ask a different question about what is family. We have to transform the way we think about what family is. Family is not about blood, and it's not about country. Family is about something much, much deeper, and we'll end on that today here in, here in a few minutes. The second is we need to change the way we think about who we are. 
We need to change the way that we shape our sense of self. There was the old worldly way. And this is the way that probably most of us are still thinking. The old worldly way of seeing the world is, I am me, and I must construct my identity out of work and value and skill and connections that I create. I forge my own destiny. This is the American religion. Have you been saved? This is, this is who we think we are. Completely self-made, forged in our own image people. This is the way that our world thinks. I am the value that I bring to the world. I am my economic contribution. I am how valuable I am to my family, my neighborhood, etc. It's why we all feel nervous when we don't have something to do. It's why we all feel anxious when we're in a room and there's people who are who are more important than us. You ever been in a room filled with important people and feel real small? Yeah. Because our world has created a hierarchy of value. My connections in this old worldly way of thinking, they're tenuous. I decide who I'm connected to. And it's however I feel right now is the decision I'm going to make about who belongs to me and who I belong to. And they're really loose. So easy to sever that I can just stop answering their texts. That's, that's the end of most relationships in our, in our country. We just stop answering texts and phone calls. And it just poof vanishes. My connections are tenuous. They're easy to break if they don't serve me. And so I'm not going to commit to showing up because that is a trampling on my individualism. I'm not going to commit to being there for you because that could impede my self-actualization in the future. I'm so afraid of being pinned down to a community that I would rather be lonely and not belong than give up my autonomy to be a part. This is the way of the world. And we also believe that we can recreate our identity. And so when things don't go well, we pull the ripcord, we run away from what's happening, from our disappointment, from our fear, from our heartache. We change our hair and our clothes and our shoes and our gender and our makeup and our exercise routines and we change our music and we start a new career and we launch a new identity and we craft something new because we believe that that is our right and our birthright as Americans to craft who we are. We believe that we can even do that with our community. We believe that we have the right to recreate the community and run away from disappointment and fear and heartache in our relationships. If I don't really belong to them, then I'm free to leave. And when we have these tenuous connections, it's easy to just walk away like it doesn't matter. A lot, a lot of community. We have a pretty tight-knit community here. You'd probably get a call from a few people if you stopped showing up. And that's a good thing. It means that it mattered that you were here. A lot of communities don't have that sort of intimacy. I, in college football, there's been this, the last two years of transformation, there was this court case that basically allowed college students who are athletes, and I, I think there was the right decision, but it's it's been an interesting thing. It's called the transfer portal. The, the transfer portal was... Uh, 
before that, they, they had to sit out a whole year of eligibility if they wanted to play somewhere else. And so you know what? Nobody switched colleges. Almost no one did unless they, had a ma they were getting a master's degree and they had a sixth year of eligibility or something. They wouldn't do it because the, high, the cost was so high. And now with the new transfer portal, if a freshman shows up in August for two days, by December, if he doesn't like his position on the field, he can enter the transfer portal and be attending classes at a new college the second semester. That's kind of the way that our world works. Nothing really matters. There is no covenant. There is no commitment. There is no promise to one another to be there. We believe that this is the way to self-actualization is through absolute autonomy, but the numbers would suggest otherwise. The numbers would suggest that this way of living, the old way of the world, has created the loneliest, most anxious, most depressed generation of all time. But God calls us to something different. God calls us to his kingdom way. God calls us to belong to him. And that's the nature of our identity has changed. First John chapter 3, verses 1. I think we have it. There we go. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us as children, and this is what we are, but the people who belong to this world don't recognize his children, and that's what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we're already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. The promise throughout Scripture is that we are not saved from this world. We are taken up and adopted into God's family. And that is the thing that changes everything. Jesus' work on the cross isn't so that you can be saved from your sins and isn't so that you can be saved from destruction. It's so that you can be brought into the family of God. You belong to him. In the same way that my kids belong to me, and that belonging is ultimate responsibility from me to them, ultimate loyalty and covenant relationship where I will give my life for them for the rest of my life. That is the way that the Father invites you in. And so this isn't a voluntary community. Once you enter in, you're a part that your identity has been transformed. And the way that a lot of theologians would say it is that you are saved because you're a part of God's family, not saved into God's family. So us entering in is, is the thing. Us being a part and adopted into God's family is the thing that takes us from the way of this world into the way of the kingdom. In Romans 9.25, it says this, Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, Those who are not my people, I will now call my people, and I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at that place where they were told, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. This change has to happen inside of us. It, it has to happen in the way that we think about the world. I am not my own. I was bought with a price. Our identity has to change, not just that we belong, but how we see ourselves. Revelation 2 has this, it's this stunning little picture of it's like a little vignette where God gives us a picture of the, of the beginning of our relationship with him. It, it says this. It says, anyone with ears to hear 
must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is, the word is overcomer there, not victorious. To everyone who overcomes, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on that stone will be engraved a new name that that no one understands except the one who receives it. We've been trying to craft our identity through our work. We've been trying to craft our identity through our value to the world around us. We've been trying to craft our identity in a way that deals with the sadness and the brokenness inside of us. But the God of all creation sees you. He sees who you truly are, what he created you for. And when you were adopted into his family, he gave you a new name. as an overcomer, as a child of the living God, as one who belongs in his family, as one who has been saved and bought with the price and the blood of Christ. And so we need to set aside these thin identities that we're trying to craft through our clothes and our work and our family connections. We need to grab hold of our true identity as a beloved child of God. Because then once we realize that we're a beloved child of God, what's the next realization? I'm not on my own. I have sisters and brothers who are in it with me who have their special name. That, And then all of a sudden I'm curious to find out what's the name God gave you, man? Only you know it. Only he knows it. Only he wants to reveal it to you. And I need you as a part of the thing he's called me to. God is community. God's family is community. Therefore, that's what we are. Just like God is a missionary, therefore we are missionaries. We have to think the way that God thinks. We have to change the way we're thinking to to let him shape us. There's, I'm, I'm going to leave some stuff. This this is going to be like one of those, these rolling sermon series where we're going to stop where we need to and we're going to pick up next week. So don't miss it. Make sure to hit the podcast. And we have a we have a tighter time window now. So there's going to be awkward spots where we just kind of end. And it's going to be, you know, you have to come back next week for the, it's, it's, a, it's a cliffhanger Batman episode, <laughs> a serial installment. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff. I, I'm not going to hit that. I'm not going to get... Okay, let's go here. Uh, we'll hit that next week. Mark chapter 3, verse 31. Jesus is... Um, he's just done these incredible miracles throughout the region around his hometown, the Decapolis, this, this group of cities in the northern part of Galilee. Jesus has launched his ministry, and there's this massive movement of the Spirit around him. And... He's he said something at the synagogue in his hometown that is either the beginning of the kingdom or it's blasphemy. When he reads that passage about the kingdom of God and he says it's fulfilled in your hearing and basically proclaims that he has come as the Messiah. And this is what happens right afterward. Mark chapter 3, verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. This is one of the reasons we believe Joseph is dead is we believe Joseph would have been there if he had been alive. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, your mother and your brother are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? 
And then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This is a radical reorientation of the way that we think about family. This is not something that's trivial and it's not something that's just a nice thing to look at. This is vital to the way of the kingdom. The family of God does not run along bloodlines. No matter how many of my family are here. (laughs) The, The family of God does not run along bloodlines. They're forged in the work of Christ to adopt us into his family. And those that belong to his family are those who walk in the way of Jesus. And so God is saying, I'm forming a new oikos, a new family for you to belong to. And it's not Redemption Hill. Like this is a, this is a tribe. This is a, this is a community of communities. You are called to belong particularly to the Father. And then specifically, you're called to the group of people he's brought into your life to walk and live on mission in your neighborhoods as a part of your life. But if you, want, if you want to be a part of this, you have to set aside some things. Are you ready to give up this rat race of individualism? Of all the work of identity construction that you do every day to prop yourself up to go out in the world? Are you ready to set aside the ways that you think about your identity based on your economic value? Are you ready to let go of your ego and let that identity die to find something better? Are you ready to give give up all of those crappy little pebbles that you've been holding on to with like all these different names written on it and open up your hand and receive this white stone with your true identity on it? Are you ready to go before the Father and allow him to give you that true identity? to give him the space to speak into your life? Are you ready to let go of all the ways that you've cobbled together an identity, clean the slate so God can tell you who you really are? Because that's the invitation of the family of God, the oikos of God, is that who you really are is so much better than this persona you've built. I like you. I like your personas. They're great. But I think there's something better underneath who we truly are. Because you can't create or join a family without leaving one behind. When you when you start a new family through marriage, it happens by leaving your parents. If you don't, your spouse will be will leave you. They will leave you. <laughs> That's probably half the divorces is that issue is they never gave up the their their family connection with the family they came from. That's why the church is going through all these divorces is because most of us didn't leave the family we came from, the family of this world, the worship of the individual. So this is the invitation. I'll invite the band to come up. And we're going to have communion together. And, you know, we, we frame communion in different ways each week, but it's primarily around our identity being shaped by our connection with Jesus and how that brings unity to the body. It creates a new family by participating in what happens at this table. And so when you come forward during this next song, to me and to you, I hope that it is a symbol that you're ready to leave behind all the, all the personas you've been building. 
and take hold of your new identity as belonging to the Father and being a part of his family. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, your word is so powerful to cut through the nonsense of this world, to see who we truly are because we have been masking ourselves with with work and with made-up identities and costumes and um, ways of trying to survive in this world. But God, we a lot of us here are saying we've, we're giving up on all of that. We want to grab hold of who we truly are. We want to join, leave the family of this world and join the family of you. We want you to be our father and we want our brothers and sisters and our spiritual mothers to be those who do your will and walk in your way. So Lord God, cut deep. Show us the lies that we've believed. Open up our hands and let us receive who we truly are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the Connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.